Today's Bible reading passage is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 40, up to chapter 16, verse 8. Mark 15, 40 to 16, 8. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and take him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they, they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they, had, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, may I add my welcome to that of Robert this uh, wonderful, wonderful morning, especially if you have guests are visiting today, um, a very warm, warm welcome to you. Um, my name is Andis, and I am the pastor here at Grace Church um, in Riga. Christ indeed, indeed is risen, and may God fill our hearts with indestructible joy and hope as we ponder uh, on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Now, I, uh, I wonder what, what people around you uh, make of the resurrection. Have you, have you talked to anyone this week about the resurrection? Well, at least amongst my friends, I don't have any pure um, secular humanists. So my non-Christian friends would call themselves spiritual and they would talk to me about the resurrection, but would understand it metaphorically. And they would say light, yeah, light conquers darkness um, as the nature wakes from the, the winter sleep. And that's why, that's why Latvians, they go in sauna and drink a lot of birch sap in the spring and do other weird things, if you haven't noticed it yet. Um, but what about you? What, what about your friends? What about your friends? And maybe you come from a culture where resurrection is substituted 
by, let's say, rebirth, the eternal soul is what really matters. It will continue living one way or the other. It doesn't matter if it is the human body. Or, or maybe your friends ridicule the whole subject of resurrection altogether. Well, back in the days, um, uh, on, on one of the, the university uh, Christian missions, uh, we were allocated to stay with local students. And my roommate, he was a very keen Christian guy, a great guy. Uh, but his dorm mates next door weren't. And on the Friday night of the mission week, I think they had enough of this Jesus talk. And so as they came back from the pub after what seemed to be quite a few drinks, they were running down the corridor of the dorms, banging on our door and screaming, Resurrection! My Christian friend felt really bad about the whole uh, resurrection incident. Well, the next morning, it looked like his dorm mates could benefit from one, actually. What do, what do Christians mean um, when we talk about resurrection? Yes, it is about the hope of life um, that springs from the victory over death. But it is not a metaphor. It is, it is very much material. It is far from a joke. The King Jesus really died to defeat the death and rose again to bring the hope of eternal life. And my friends, we need both. We really need both. We need Jesus' death and we need Jesus's bodily resurrection. So firstly, firstly, by way of recap, Jesus really, really died. The young man in a white robe affirms what the women and others already knew. Jesus was crucified and died. So there were, as Robert mentioned, plenty of eyewitnesses to that fact. It appears that Mark places a very big emphasis on the death of Jesus, and that being thoroughly confirmed. So, so there are women, if you notice that in, in our reading, the women saw two things, verse 40, how Jesus died, and verse 47, where Jesus's body was laid. So on the first day of the week, the women knew exactly where to go, and how courageous of them the disciples were still nowhere near, but these women absolutely fearlessly went to the tomb. Sadly, their testimony alone wouldn't stand in a court. So Mark gives us another eyewitness of Jesus's death, Joseph of Arimathea in verse 43. Now being a respected member of the council, he still needed a lot of courage to approach Pilate about the body of Jesus. But that's what you do if the kingdom of God is more important than your status. Now Joseph, verse 46, spent considerable time taking care of Jesus' body. 
don't you think he would check twice before rolling that big stone against the entrance of the tomb? Now, of course, now, of course, the women and Joseph were not interested in Jesus dying. So Mark gives us a third eyewitness, the centurion. Just notice how well the case for Jesus' death is made. Now, Joseph made sure Jesus is really dead. The women saw everything and can confirm it. And now we have the judge himself absolutely sure that Jesus is dead. Glance at verse 44 of chapter 15. Pilate, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. Now, and let me tell you, let me tell you, if the women and Joseph would wish that Jesus is alive. Centurion was very interested in Jesus' death because he would be personally responsible if, he, if his kill squad would fail to accomplish the execution. And when Pilate learned from the centurion that he was dead, here he granted the corpse to Joseph. Now, from the standpoint of evidence, it is brilliant, isn't it? Mark makes a watertight case for Jesus' death. The same Jesus who was arrested and flogged was crucified and really died. And we know exactly where his corpse was laid. The centurion and soldiers, the woman and Joseph, together with Pilate, confirming that Jesus really died. But why is Mark so keen to establish that Jesus really, really died? Why is it so important that he really died? Do you remember what Jesus himself said about the purpose of his coming? Chapter 1045, the key verse of the whole gospel. He came to give his life. What a ransom for many. And friends, we saw how desperately we need this ransom. Our heart failure is fatal. Left to our own devices, we will always try to gain the whole world and we will inevitably destroy our souls. We need the ransom that Jesus provides. We need him to be the ultimate Passover lamb. And so to die in our place in order to fully pay for our sin. We need Jesus to empty the cup of God's wrath and so to die on our behalf, thus dealing with God's just punishment that we deserve. So, so in order to, for this ransom to be fully and sufficiently paid, we need Jesus to really die. Now, what do you make of Jesus being really dead? Is it, is it easy for you to accept? 
How important the fact is to you. Because you can't remain indifferent, you see. Jesus' death tends to provoke reactions in every culture. Just think, just think for a moment. For Jewish and Muslim people, Jesus' death is scandalous. You can't be the son of God because death on the cross is a sign of God's curse. No prophet should die such a death. Think of Greco-Roman people. To them, Jesus' death is foolishness. Jesus can't be the wise teacher because he dies the death of lowlifes. And for secular humanists, Jesus' death is, well, at best, tragic. Such a good person dies such an excruciating death. Horrible, horrible. What do you make of Jesus' death? That he's really, really dead. Now, again, some of my non-Christian friends that I have are genuinely embarrassed. Well, they are really uncomfortable about it. Even though they would describe themselves as spiritual, they find it difficult to talk about Jesus' bodily death on the cross. Instead of talking about the fact and importance of Jesus' death and resurrection... Some of my friends talk about the inward feeling and experience of death. They say, um, I sense that something in in me must die in order I could experience, you know, a sort of metaphorical resurrection. For them, the cross of Christ is merely a symbol of the tension in human life between the horizontal horizontal needs and the vertical growth, what, whatever that might mean, I have no idea. But at the end of the day, as someone said, facts don't care about feelings. You can feel however dead or alive you want, or how free or reborn you want, but if Jesus' bodily death hasn't set you free from the depth of sin and the punishment of God, you are still a slave to sin and subject of God's righteous wrath. And friends, that is why Jesus' bodily death is such, such a liberating news to those who hold it dear. That's why it's so, so important Let's give a little fellow a little break. It's so, so important because the ransom is paid and the punishment is dealt with. That's why we really, really need Jesus to die. So Jesus really died. And that's really important because only then, only then the whole talk of the resurrection of Jesus is actually meaningful. So secondly, Jesus really rose. And that brings us to chapter 16. We'll take a look at verse 16 um, of, um, it can't be 16, right? It must be another verse, maybe six, right? Because we're certainly not going in, in verse 16. 
it's, it's, it's the young man. You see, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, having made a solid argument for Jesus' bodily death, Mark is equally committed to proof the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Now, this time, Mark, for some reason, thinks that two witnesses is enough. The women and the young man in a white robe. So, so the women are quite key, you see. Two Marys and Salo were there when Jesus died. Two Marys saw where exactly Jesus' body was laid. And now these same women go to the tomb. There are people who would say that these women are, are not, the re, not really reliable witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. They would accuse these women of, of being biased. You know, they expected the resurrection of Jesus so badly that they eventually made up this story of the empty tomb and, you know, that Jesus rose. So I thought, I, I thought let's have a, a really quick quiz question this morning. A glance at verses 1 to 3 in chapter 16. Let's have a quick quiz question. Verses 1 to 3. And in these verses, does it look like the women are expecting to find Jesus alive or dead? What would you say? A quick quiz question. Sorry, didn't hear? Yes, yes. Um, look at verse 1. The women brought spices to anoint Jesus' dead body. And they were wondering about the tombstone in verse 3 because they didn't expect much change from Friday. The women didn't expect Jesus' resurrection. And that is why they were so alarmed to see the tombstone being rolled back and the young man in a white robe. It's hard to tell what exactly they were most alarmed about. Was it the young man was sitting or that he was sitting on the right side? or that he was dressed in a white robe. It's hard to tell, isn't it? But most likely, all of it together was a bit unsettling. Well, the one place that you do not expect any change, there suddenly is one, and that is alarming. No wonder the first thing the young man says to the women is do not be afraid. Just don't be afraid. Here is our second key witness, the young man, verse 6b. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Seat. Now, are you convinced by the young man this morning? Is he convincing? Is the empty tomb persuasive? evidence for the resurrection of Jesus to you? Well, I think it's a good start, definitely. It's a very, very good start. However, the question remains. So where is he? Well, the absence of the body, you see, is only half good news. As we sang in the second song, I think, you know, Mary, Mary just was wondering, so where is he? Show me. 
I was probably five or six years old. Uh, um, and my brother, my little brother, he was around two or three years old. And at that time, he had to undergo the surgery. Uh, around that time, we were staying with our, go- uh, with our grandparents because it was a summer school holiday. And the surgery went well, or, or so the doctors told um, um, my grandparents. And the next, next morning, my grandma and I, we were up and we were going to the hospital to visit my brother. Upon entering the hospital ward or room, my grandma found it to be empty. Now, I could, I could see from the look on her face that it wasn't obviously good news to her. Her only question was, so where is he? Where is he? Was she alarmed? No, she was totally terrified. My grandma, she was running around the first floor, second floor of the hospital and looking for my brother. And then she suddenly stopped. Out of the second floor window, she saw my brother toddling in his pajamas towards the woods. Three-year-old, imagine. And now she was properly furious at the hospital staff, of course. And knowing my grandma then, someone definitely lost the job that day. (laughs) Definitely. Do you see why the empty hospital room in itself wasn't good news to my grandma? Because, Because of the unanswered question. Where is he then? Where is he? And in a similar way, the empty tomb is only half good news. The question remains, where is the body? Where is Jesus? Now, the young man seems to have the answer to that. Even more, he seems to have the knowledge that only the 12 had. Glance again at verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, wait a minute. When did Jesus tell them these things? If you want to see it for yourself, chapter 14, verse 27 is the place. 1427. After the meal and a song, Jesus and the disciples went out and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Just imagine, just imagine what these words meant to the scared and the scattered disciples. A friend of mine put it it so well. The sheep scattered at the cross are to be gathered to the risen king. You see, the 12, the 12 let Jesus down so badly. But but Jesus paid the ransom for them. And now he prepares to welcome them back as his beloved friends. Nothing particularly of Peter. You see Peter singled out here by the young man in a white robe. Yes, they all failed Jesus, but Peter... Peter triple failed Jesus. 
he must have asked himself, am I beyond salvation? Am I beyond salvation? Just imagine what these words had meant to someone like Peter. And here are a few things that the resurrection means. And firstly, particularly for someone like Peter and us. You see, Jesus' resurrection means reconciliation. For as we all fail Jesus daily in our thoughts and words and deeds, in the things that we, uh, the bad things that we do, and in the good things that we fail to do, and in the uh, in, in in whole of life daily, we fail Jesus. And perhaps you feel that you have failed Jesus so terribly that you do not even dare to tell anyone about that. But your risen king knows it. He has already paid the ransom for your sin with his precious blood. You see, his resurrection means that you have been reconciled with the son and the father. God is not angry with you anymore. Do you understand it? God loves you. Come back to him, confess your sin, and be welcomed back by your loving Heavenly Father. The resurrection of Jesus is reconciliation. But, but, repent you must. Repent you must because Jesus' resurrection means also retribution. Jesus warns the complacent and evil tenants. Do you remember back in chapter 12? If they reject the beloved son, they will be rejected by him. Because the stone that they rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. Those who are ashamed of Jesus, Jesus will be ashamed of when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus who remains in a tomb is no threat to his enemies, right? But Jesus who has smashed through death, well, he will surely return to settle the score. But isn't that good news too? Thirdly, Jesus' resurrection means that self-denial is sensible. The resurrection means that Jesus was right. As we had, Jesus was right about everything, but particularly about the risk that his disciples should take. Now they see that losing their life now is not a loser's move. Jesus' resurrection is the proof that they will surely gain life later. What good news. What good news. The bodily resurrection of Jesus means that our risk to live sacrificially for Jesus, his people and the gospel is really worth it. It now makes sense to carve out time to meet and encourage a struggling brother or sister over coffee or lunch. Just makes sense. 
It now makes sense to set aside some money to support the gospel work. It now makes sense to cut back on maybe, you know, a, a third or a second fancy holiday plans to serve in a Christian camp. And many other things. The words of the risen Christ really make sense now. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now as his ransom people, we can follow our servant king. Just imagine, just imagine the words of the young man in a white robe, what they would mean to the scattered and scared disciples. Well, it's a shame that the women in verse uh, 8 fled from the tomb and said nothing to anyone, isn't it? It's a shame. What, what, what an ending. What an ending of the gospel. Well, of course, they eventually did tell something to someone, don't you think? But we do not learn that from Mark. Mark puts a full stop here. And Mark really intends to end his gospel here at verse 8, just in case you're wondering. It is such an anticlimactic ending to the Easter and to the Easter sermon that early scribes thought that they need to give a hand to Mark and help with an you know, appropriate ending to the gospel, and hence verses 9 to 20. Mark really wants to finish here. And what he says here is probably two things with this ending, that it really happened. Friends, it really happened. The women were afraid, they ran away, and they kept their mouths shut. That's what happened, that's history, take it. But the other thing that Mark does here is that he provokes us with this ending, with this unsatisfactory ending, he provokes us. What are you going to do about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What are you going to do about it? Mark wants, deliberately wants to leave us unsettled. Are you going to be like these women? Pretending you didn't see what you saw? Not telling anyone anything about Jesus? Denying them a chance to be sorted out by God. Are you going to be like these women? Mark wants to leave us unsettled with this question. What are you going to do about the good news of Jesus? Now, a few weeks um, ago, I went on the minister's conference in uh, the North England. Uh, but before that, I had a chance to catch up with some old friends in London. And as I was making my way to see them on the London underground, the British transport police announcement suddenly captured my attention, as they're supposed to do, right? It, it encouraged people to remain vigilant for anything that seems out of place uh, or unusual on trains and at the stations. Well, I have to say this slogan was really catchy. That's why it captured my attention. So 
Here it is. Seed, saved, sorted. My friends, Jesus really died and really rose again. The risen king is returning as the judge to sort out the world. So unlike the women, as we see it, we have to say it, knowing it will, it will definitely get sorted. Jesus is coming back to judge his enemies. The risen king is going to do that, but he's going to come back also to save his redeemed ones. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning for the good news of the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who really died for our sins, bearing your punishment on your righteous wrath, pay the full ransom for our miserable bodies and souls. And thank you for Jesus who really rose again from the grave, defeating death, and granting us the hope of the bodily resurrection and life eternal. And so, Father, thank you for the, the wonderful news of reconciliation this morning. Thank you for making us right with God, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus. Thank you for the good news of retribution that the enemies who reject you and scorn you will be judged. And thank you for the really good news of life even now. That denying ourselves, that serving your people, your gospel, no matter how costly it is, it's really, really worth it. And so, Father, please, please unsettle us this morning with the question what we are going to do with the good news of Jesus. Please help me, help us not to be like the women. And as we see the wonder of your resurrection. Please help us to speak about it so that your spirit might work in the lives of our friends and colleagues and uni mates because you will come back one day as the judge and you will sort this world out. And we wait for you. We love you. Amen. <laughs>